Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You take this. It's safer with you than it is with me. You get as far away from here as you can. Do you hear me? I'll come back for you. You'll be all right. Masters and Padawans, episode 183 of Full Sith. I am the Mike Pilot. With me, my co-host, Brian Young. And we have a special treat for you in this episode today. And Brian, why don't you tell everybody right off the bat, what are we doing? So we're going to listen to uh, another panel from Salt Lake Comic Con. And again, don't worry, the audio is fantastic. Yeah, these, these ones have all been great. Um, and so this was a panel called The Many Faces of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And it had um, Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class and my other podcast, Authentic History. The awesome Holly Fry. The awesome Holly Fry. Christy Golden, uh, who wrote Dark Disciple. Mm-hmm. Deborah Jensen, who's like a political professor at the University of Utah. She was very cool, you, by the way. She was. I really liked her. And you. Yeah. You were guy. on it. And Matt Martin from Lucasfilm. Yes. And Matt Martin was there, too. It was a, it was a very good panel of peoples. It was. Uh and so the panel is weird. It would like we were just talking about different versions of Star Wars. Yeah. And there was a lot of really interesting um, questions from the audience as well. And I thought that it was a really good panel and it was my first one that day. And um, it started things off on the good foot. So let's let's get into it. Let's listen to it. Welcome to the many faces of Star Wars. <laughs> my name's Brian Young. I co-host a podcast called Full of Sith with this gentleman here, Mike Pilot. Hello. Um. And uh, I also write for StarWars.com and Star Wars Insider and uh, really like talking about Star Wars in all of its incarnations, including the thousand different versions there are. Um, and uh, I'm going to let each of the panelists introduce themselves, and then we'll sort, of, we'll sort of just dive into the conversation. Okay, yeah. So I'm Mike Pilot. Like Brian said, I do Full of Sith. I've been doing podcasting for 10 years. I'm a Star Wars collector, a longtime Star Wars fan, and... I celebrate Star Wars and all it's about with my 10-year-old daughter, and our house is just a Star Wars celebration of sorts itself. Uh, I'm Matt Martin. I'm part of the Lucasfilm Story Group, so I work on Star Wars every day and also live it at home with, with my girlfriend and my cat, Jaina. I don't have a kid, so I can't say that, but I do have pets. <laughs> nice. My dog hates Star Wars. Your dog hates... Oh, dear. Get rid of that dog. No, that dog's the worst. Uh, my name's Deborah Jensen. I am a civilian Star Wars fan. I don't do it professionally or podcasting-wise. Yeah. I'm, vo- I'm the voice of um, the marginally informed on this panel. Um, but I love Star Wars, and my daughter loves Star Wars, so I'm here to talk about the ways that it appeals to us today. 
Hi, I'm Holly Fry. I co-host a not Star Wars podcast called <laughs> Stuff You Missed in History Class. Um, thank you. You guys are awesome. But I also co-host one called Fothentic History with Brian, where we tackle fake things like they're real, including Star Wars. Uh, I have occasionally written for StarWars.com, and I also sort of serve as a, a pop culture special correspondent for How Stuff Works, so we cover Star Wars sometimes. I have two Star Wars cats named <laughs> Ozzel and Veers. <laughs> My name is Christy Golden, and um, I was one of the lucky ones to see Star Wars in the theater when it first hit hit the theaters in 77. I was 13 years old, and my life quite literally changed. Um, and uh, that little girl grew up to write uh, four books for Star Wars so far, uh, three books in the Fate of the Jedi series, and Dark Disciple, which is on sale, which I will sign for you at the Wordfire Press booth. So I think the thing about Star Wars is that it's always been changing uh, and, and different versions of things. I mean, whether we're talking about the different releases of the movies or director's cuts of episodes of Clone Wars or the difference between Legends and the new continuity. Um, but I want to take, take us all the way back to maybe the first changes in Star Wars because I don't think people realize how soon, like how long this has been happening. So... We've only had the original theatrical release of Star Wars for maybe a year or two. Are you, you mean the original? Re- the original yeah, the original theatrical. Well, release. actually, there's a, there are changes between the 35 millimeter and the 70 millimeter. Mm-hmm. So, depending on what. So, theater. like, uh, there was about a two month difference before things started changing. <laughs> <laughs> so, I well, I guess th- to the panel, like, does that kind of put things into perspective that maybe as Star Wars fans we should be used to things changing a lot? <laughs> And that there's no possible way to keep up with every iteration, because if you're like me and, a, a, like I said, a civilian, or a, you can't possibly know every version and every debate that exists. Pablo's not in the room, is he? <laughs> I was just about to say that. Well, see, that's one of the things with me. I, I, I'm glad that I'll never know every possible little change or every possible little thing, and it's always going to be a surprise to me when I sit here and find out that there's been a change <laughs> right there in two months. So I think that that's one of the great things about Star Wars and people that get upset over those things. I, I'm on the opposite side of that coin. Holly, did you have anything? Uh, yeah, I mean, I remember when they re-released A New Hope into theaters and suddenly the episode four thing was on it because I, too, was one of those people lucky enough to see it right when it came out. They made my poor older brother, who is eight years older than me, take me. You can imagine how much he enjoyed that night. Um, but, yeah, so I remember being like, wait, it's different now? And so I guess because that's always been part of the Star Wars experience for me, it just has never felt concerning or alarming. When they change things, I'm like, all right, some changes I love and some I don't love so much, but they never really trouble me in any deep way. Um, one thing I think that it's important to note is that next year is the 40th anniversary of Star Wars, but it's the 20th anniversary of the special editions, <laughs> which means that we'll have had the major changes to Star Wars for as long as we've had Star Wars. And we've already passed that for Empire and Jedi. Totally. And what's interesting is that since those came out, there hasn't been a home release other than the bonus features on a DVD. There hasn't been a home release of the originals. So most kids or most people that grew up within that 20 years, the special editions are their Star Wars. Yeah. And like the older people, 
that remember the originals get all angry about it, but we got to think that... <laughs> I see you nodding. <laughs> see, it, all right, raise your hand if you're angry about it. Keep your hands up. Of course, Kylo Ren raises yeah. his hands. Keep hand. your hands up he, if Kyle you're over 35. He's about everything. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Because kids don't see or care or about the differences. They they are attached to the one that they saw. And even for me personally, like I was, I was born in '81, so I wasn't really there for the, the original theatrical release. But I got into Star Wars through the VHS, and watched them every single night. So I was so into it. But the special editions mean the world to me because those are the first ones I saw in a theater. So they're attached to the ones that they saw, and the kids are attached to the ones that they saw. Exactly. Um, so I want to I want to talk about um, since I think that's probably the biggest change. I think the special editions is probably one of the two largest sort of sea changes in what Star Wars is, and as far as that, I kind of want to go down the line and find out what your favorite change to the to the the narrative is and i can i can start while you guys are thinking about that and and this one sometimes is a little controversial but it's the ending of return of the jedi it's everything from the new song because i thought the ewok song didn't have that resonance to talk about it didn't speak to the entire galaxy and the the struggle the entire galaxy went through it was like a block party on Endor, and that was about it. But, so the first time I saw that in the, the movie theater, I was just moved to tears because it really hit home for the first time how important the galactic struggle was. Mm-hmm. But the other change is, and, and it's because I love the prequel so much, is Hayden Christensen as a ghost uh, replacing Sebastian Shaw at the end of Return of the Jedi because there's, there's nothing more emotional than being attached to Anakin and to see him back there as he was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, I think that's why that change is one of those ones that, that kids really latch on to, because otherwise they're just like, who's that guy? <laughs> because that's not the Anakin that, that they know. So unfortunately, I could sit here, and I'm not really a naysayer, but I could think of more things I don't like than I do like. <laughs> and then you say one of the things I actually like. So at the end of Jedi, seeing all the planets, seeing Coruscant, and seeing all the, everybody celebrating... You know, the first time you see Coruscant on screen. Yeah, that's the first time you see Coruscant. So yeah, I mean, so that's added. We didn't even know about that back then. So yeah, the 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 absolute celebration of the, of that fall of the Death Star and and people getting out from underneath the Empire. That's the big thing for me. That you just, it's grand. It's the galaxy. Matt? Yeah, for I mean, I love the end too. Like the the moment of Coruscant where you see the Emperor statue getting pulled down is is just really impressive. And I love how in subsequent releases, like now that you've seen the prequels, you get a better sense of the geography and the Jedi Temple is there yep. now. Yeah. And um, for me, I think it's actually the entirety of Empire Strikes Back. I think every change that was made to Empire Strikes Back was an improvement. I mean, it was also the one with the most subtle changes, but Bespin in the original kind of sucked. <laughs> like, it was just white walls. And, like, we use our imaginations, and in our head, it's cool. But then when you see what it was kind of meant to be, it's really impressive, and it really gives you that, that galactic scale that, um, that the original film just wasn't able to have. So it's kind of hard, though. I mean, that was my favorite movie of all time to begin with. So you go into that, and it's already my favorite movie, so it's kind of hard to take away from that. So it just gets better. Exactly. So, yeah. Hmm. I'm trying to think of something creative because I like the ending change too. Um, and I like the ending change because um, 
I came to Star Wars fandom, other than just like watching it randomly when it was on, um, through my kids. And so I really like the prequels because Jar Jar Binks was my electronic babysitter. <laughs> <laughs> like, when you introduce episode one to a five-year-old, they think Jar Jar Binks is the best thing ever, and so you consequently agree. Um, and so by the time you get to the end and the, the gang is back, yeah, that is think, an, that's, an important, that's an important moment. I don't, right? think, like, <laughs> I don't think you have to be apologetic to, to say you like their prequels. Thank you. I know. I, 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 sometimes you do. But then I also, um, it's a little random thing, but I super like the conversation between Han Solo and Jabba the Hutt that they added in mm-hmm. because I always felt like there was backstory there but you never got to see it and then you know like watching Harrison Ford kind of hop over his yeah. tail I was like Ooh. <laughs> the person in me who doesn't understand how they did that was like how did they do that that's amazing so it distracted me for a minute and I love the wonderful human being line that he yeah, yeah. <laughs> like in the original when it was a human being like that wasn't funny no, but now it's, it's like that's awesome now, sarcasm yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, mine is more sort of a, a broader sweeping thing. I do love the the end change to Jedi, but I, you know, grew up with it, so I really appreciated the technical tightening up that they did and the sound reengineering and all of that. Because as much as I always loved it, as I became older and became a jaded old hag, I noticed, you know, some of the the stuff, and I could still love it despite that. But I could see the flaws, and then to go back and the matte lines are fixed and they're gone, and the effects are just pumped up that much more, and everything's sharper and crisper. It like enabled me to have that willful suspension of disbelief all over again like I had been a kid. So that's what I love about it. I, I think it's important that you say that because everybody that saw the original Star Wars in the theater all pretty much mirrors the same thing. It was something I've never seen before. Um, it's just an experience I've never had. I was blown away. And at that time, that was the technology. So as time went on and the technology got better because people were striving to get better because of that movie and uh, they had better technology you, they wanted to he, they, he wanted to fix it it wanted to get better so it's good it's a good thing that you said that Chrissy uh, I uh, uh, Matt stole mine <laughs> um, I, I am not a fan of most of the changes but the one thing that did resonate with me was Bespin because Bespin to me was always so magical and beautiful and to see it uh you know, even more so with, with so much resonance to it and so many beautiful colors. Um, that worked. That worked completely for me. And I'm going to take this a little bit further in our changes since Jar Jar Binks was mentioned. Um, I am also, was also, not a Jar Jar Binks fan at all. But uh, in watching the Clone Wars, I saw that they were doing something really cool with him. And for those of you who are mythologists, or interested in folklore, there is an archetype called the wise fool. And the wise fool is always getting into scrapes and always doing everything wrong, but somehow he's the one who makes everybody realize what really ought to be done. And he is the one with the greatest heart. And throughout the Clone Wars, we started seeing Jar Jar in that light. And I remember sitting back after one episode and say, I said, holy cow, I love Jar Jar now. This is wonderful. So I thought that was interesting to start with something that was, you know, obviously, as you said, meant for children. And to uh, have the room through another series to take that and make him into something more. He's still Jar Jar. I mean, I'm, I'm sure people who loved him then love him in the Clone Wars too. But those of us who were a little bit like that about him. Uh, I really, really liked that, and I thought it was a nice, subtle throwback 
to um, the uh, hero's journey that was our very first Star Wars. Um, the other one I want to mention that I was kind of surprised I didn't hear was Biggs. Biggs Darklighter. Yeah. I think, I think <laughs> that Biggs makes a big difference. getting added to uh, right before the Death Star trench run added so much resonance to Biggs' death in A New Hope. It actually made, it, it made the trench run more emotional, which I wasn't sure was possible. No, totally. That's a huge addition because otherwise the original cut, you're just like, why does Luke know this guy? Why do, why do I care that <laughs> he's not? Like, why do I care any more about Biggs and Porkins? But that added scene like, so actually guy, makes you really care. Big guy and mustache guy went. Fine. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Look at there are casualties in every bottle. <laughs> um, so the other, I think the other major change in Star Wars that, that has been probably as controversial is that shift of the expanded universe material into the Legends timeline. And Christy, you have a lot of experience because you've, you've written books on both sides of that line. And I'm curious about your, your perspective on that change. Well, uh, as a tie-in writer of anything, you have to be aware going in 100% that this is not yours. This belongs to the IP. It is their property. They are hiring you to write a story about their world. And so you really, first of all, don't have any leg to stand on to complain about anything that they choose to do, first of all. So I'm, I'm kind of used to that. Um, and secondly, when I first heard about this, I had a trilogy, um, the, uh, the Jaina Solo and sort of the Jedi tri- trilogy, and that got put on hold for a while. But I kind of knew, I mean, the writing, writing was, was on the wall because as somebody who's worked in these worlds, um, and I came, I had the experience of coming into Fate of the Jedi. So imagine being a Star Wars movies fan, but not knowing the expanded universe at all, and being asked to write not one Star Wars book, but three, not three, but three hardcovers, not three hardcovers, but in the middle of a nine book series where you don't get to start anything or finish anything. <laughs> you just take the baton and you go. So uh, that was a huge, huge challenge for me. And it realized, you know, just to get up to speed, just enough to make that series work was exhausting. And there is no way a Hollywood film director is going to sit down and read through 200 books and graphic novels and and whatever. So I kind of knew that that change was coming. Um, I am super stoked about Thrawn because they told us, they told us from the beginning Remember Padawans, they told us from the beginning that these were legends, and legends sometimes have a kernel of truth in them, and they reserved the right to take something that they thought would work in this new vision. And by golly, that is exactly what they are doing. And that gives me so much hope for seeing more things so that it isn't like then and now, it's we're starting to see this kind of a third thing, blending. And um, I'm, I'm very excited. And as again, as someone who saw the original movie at 13, I, it was, I'm going to tear up here, it was so moving to me to be able to see the big three together again. Because I never, ever thought that would happen. And so I'm very excited about, about what's going forward. I'm excited about what's been done. And um, with this, uh, this, you know, seeing Thrawn again, I'm, I'm very hopeful for seeing more carefully crafted and, and you know and give these people a break they're trying to build this whole thing up and they want to do it right they want to make sure everything works well so they're going slowly but i think this signifies to me a significant shift in how uh, the new the next phase going forward so i'm pretty excited 
Did anyone else have anything they wanted to add on the, the Legends versus I have thing? so many thoughts on this. <laughs> I would, like, is there one you could share? Um, you can share Well, anything. I should say, like, I... This is a safe space. I am a massive fan of the EU. I mean, I said my cat's name is Jaina. Like, it was a big influence on me, but I still... When I found... And I worked there. And when I found out that we were going to be doing this, and I was... I wouldn't say I, I had any influence on the decision, but I was in the room when it was made. And it's like, this is the right thing to do. Because you can't take someone like J.J. Abrams and expect him to adapt the Thrawn trilogy or something. And then even if we did, everybody would complain about every single thing that was changed. Because every time you adapt a film to, or a book to a film, it gets changed anyway. So there was like no, no winning that. The best thing to do was to start over. And those original books are still there. Most of them are still in print, and they're still awesome. Yeah, we're awesome. printing them, actually. Yeah, so there's, there's no... It doesn't take away from me. I can still love those old books, and I can still go back and reread them. I just re- reread the Brian Daly ones, like, two weeks ago, just because they're fun. So it doesn't, it doesn't remove the EU just because it's no longer continuing or it's no longer canon. Um, and also, from just a personal working there perspective... I'm so thankful that I don't have to keep track of everything that I've been reading since I was, like, eight. <laughs> because it's a lot easier to, to manage the everything that's been printed since 2014 versus everything that's been printed since 1977. <laughs> so, um, a question I want to ask, actually, uh, with the, the... There's a difference in... Uh, the Legends versus Canon thing, where the Legends books are still in print, you can still all get those. Um, where do you guys come down on the idea that that the um, original theatrical editions, even though I don't think that actually means anything, um, aren't widely available the same way the definitive versions of the films are? So, so there's there's it, it's easy to to diffuse a Legends fan and say. Well, they're still available. We still have them, and you still have them on your, on your shelves. But the last release, the the last best release of the original theatricals, uh, was the bonus disc of the two thousand six DVD releases of the classic trilogy. And there hasn't been a DVD release of the theatrical release of Phantom Menace at all. Yeah, no, there hasn't. Yeah. That's I forgot about that. I'm probably the only person who prefers the theatrical version of Phantom Menace. Really. The, I, the pod race is so much tighter and leaner. I was going to say, but the pod race is so much longer. But yeah, that's the problem, I guess. <laughs> you only need so much pod racing. Yeah. Um, so, I, does anyone want to speak to that? To that? Yeah. No. I for for me, I I say whatever George counts as the definitive version is the definitive version. So, I like that his last version is the most correct one. At the same time, it would be cool to be able to release the originals in kind of a historical context, mm-hmm. though technically it's going to be a massive challenge because the, those are really old. Like, even the, the DVD release was actually just a port of the, the Laserdisc. So it's not the best way to experience it. So if you want, like, a high-res 4K Blu-ray of the original trilogy, that's, that's not a cheap endeavor, and it may not even be possible, given what's left. So, I agree with you that whatever his decision is, is the decision, but I've talked to Brian and Amy about this on the show before. I I still remain a little hopeful. I mean, if we now have new Star Wars movies that I never thought we'd have, maybe someday there'll be a a Blu-ray release with a bunch of different versions on it, and that might be one of them. I I would for sure buy it. I would buy a version that has every different version of uh, 
How many of you would? Yeah. I would totally yeah. buy them. Absolutely. Like, I would buy every them time, and watch them back to back to back to back. Yeah. <laughs> every time Obi-Wan does a different Krat Dragon scream, it's a <laughs> completely different movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I'm holding out hope. I want every version of what it looked like under Luke's land speed. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that's sort of like the glorious bounty that we're lucky enough to have, is that there are all of these different versions. And luck, if we were to be able to see all of them in one release, that would be spectacular. But I kind of liken it to, like, if you have a favorite food, and it's really fun to go to different restaurants and see how different <laughs> chefs make it. It's always seasoned a little differently. And so they're sort of all wonderful in their own right. Um, but I, you, I don't have a specific attachment to just one. But you, sometimes you just like the original recipe. So Yeah. I mean, as, as somebody who didn't get to see them, I mean, I saw them when I was very little, so I have little recollection of what it was actually like to see Return of the Jedi in the theater, right? Except I got taken out of school for it, so that, that rocked. Good parenting. Right now, right? I learned from the best. Um, but... <laughs> I would like to be able to go back and revisit that as somebody who doesn't have access to that. I mean, I have the VHS box set that's like the original, original from forever ago. Blockbuster employees, I see them all out there. (laughs) That's how I got it. But um, I can't watch it anymore because who has a VHS player? But also... Uh, oh, look at you guys! Well, that was that was the most terrifying thing about like I love that from Star Wars the Jedi documentary, mm-hmm. and the, the most terrifying thing about it I had to digitize it myself because oh, I was no. afraid that every time I put it in a VCR it was just going to eat the tape. Yeah. Oh, you're taking your life in your own hands every time you use that VHS. Which right. is such a, I'm so glad we don't have to like we don't have that anxiety over our movies. That's part of the reason I had so many different versions of Star Wars yeah. collected is because I wore those tapes out, yeah. and you know. <laughs> The reason I have Emp- I've probably watched Empire the least is because for some reason every version I had after a certain point my Empire tape just screwed up. Yeah. So I don't know. It, it's okay. I've watched it. Believe me, I got my viewings out of it. You've, you've seen it once or twice, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> do you do you remember just apropos of absolutely nothing here? But uh, the the whole furor over the Sistine Chapel cleaning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Crazy. You know, people were so disappointed because for all these years they thought it was uh, moody and dark and, and brooding, and then it's like it's pink and purple <laughs> and bright, and people were freaking out left and center. And it just kind <laughs> of reminds me of that. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Well, I think um, something Matt Wood said to me in an interview Matt Wood was a sound designer who worked on the re releases of things. And I think I don't think people actually want the original theatrical versions. I think what they want is the way they remember the original mm-hmm. theatrical versions. So I think that they so when they were working on the sound design he was saying we didn't match the sound design to what was originally there because it came out in mono and stereo. Like how many of you would think that would sound awesome in your home theater systems, <laughs> let alone the sound technology we have today? So they had to rebuild everything and give you the feeling of what it was like to hear it that first time, of how you remember it, but not necessarily how it was. And I think so many of the changes and the cleanups and the effects are that same way. Like, look at the Empire Strikes Back and look at the Hoth battle, and you can just see right through the cockpits to yeah. the snow and the walkers and stuff. Like, yeah. do we need any of that anymore? We don't remember that in those viewings as kids, so we don't want that. But I think, I think people want the idea of what the original theatricals were. Well, I think they also, we also over-romanticize things, yeah. too. Oh, for sure. You know, it's, it, you know you're there, and you, you believe one way, and then you think about it 40 years one way, 
And then if we actually did see it, we'd be like, eh, that wasn't quite what I remembered. So Yeah, it might be the end of the romance. Yeah. If, I mean, <laughs> I, I just, I love The Last Starfighter. Does anybody like The Last Ooh. Starfighter? Yes. Yeah, I figure, you're my gang. I figure you know. <laughs> and I um, was just watching it with my kids. And they were like, oh, mom, no. Aww. No. This is not, no. And I'm like, no, everything about it is amazing. And then, no. Like, I, you might lose some of that feel if you get the original. Part. I had the same experience with my kids in the original Clash of the Titans. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. They're just like, that owl's stupid. <laughs> like that's, what? Bubo was awesome. You know, I'm glad that you brought up the, the kind of what people remember because that, that was really the, the way that they were thinking about it when they were doing the production design for Rogue One, where when you watch Rogue One, things will be better than they actually were, even though they're, they're recreating things that were in A New Hope. The Yavin base is not exactly the Yavin base. It is so much better. The Stormtroopers, which were on display at Celebration and Comic-Con, so much better than a Stormtrooper really was. Like... All of the little stickers and things that were on the helmet that made it up that, you know, when we were young and watched those movies, didn't realize were stickers, those are actually, like, pieces within the helmet now, and it, like, it feels real. So that, it led their whole design. It's funny, Mark Hamill at his panel, how many of you guys went to Mark Hamill's panel the other day? And he was talking about how he got to keep his Stormtrooper helmet, and he's like, it's fallen apart, and, like, the lenses were just masking tape. Like, they were masking taped in the mask, and it's just... It, it, it was a piece of crap. And yeah, they, they rushed those. Yeah. They, they were late on getting all those stormtroopers done. And actually, they got the stormtroopers done for Tunisia, and then they fell, fell apart in Tunisia, and they had to rebuild new ones for, for uh, the rest of it. <laughs> um, so I'd like to take questions. We've got a microphone up here if people want to assemble up here to, to ask us some questions. Um, so... First at the microphone. <laughs> yeah, don't be shy. Um, so you you guys all work for Star Wars to some extent. So I was wondering if no. you're not allowed to mention the Harmy Despecialized Edition you can get online. And if you are, uh, have you seen it? What's your opinion on it? It's red. That that guy that did that's nuts. Like the fact that they went through and despecialized it. Is, yeah. But yeah, I, I have a copy of it. That's, that's the, the best version of the original trilogy that I have. You don't have the Blu-ray? No, because he's talking about the D... That's what you said, right? The D-Specialized. Yeah, the, the one that a fan went through oh, and yeah, lovingly know, pulled out everything while using, <laughs> while using the highest resolution version that they could. So like, it's a 720p version of the original trilogy, kind of. Um, and it's, yeah, it's fun to, to watch that now. And... and where I come down on that is I kind of have a, a... I don't like it so much because it's one guy's opinion on what he thinks Star Wars should be. And there's so many of the changes that, that George Lucas made on the special editions that I vastly prefer. Like, and, and to see them not there is sort of odd. No, yeah. totally. I, I think I just appreciate it from a, a fan passion perspective. Yeah. Like, the fact that they cared enough to go through and spend all of those hours to do this thing that they're never going to be able to sell. Um, it's... It's just really impressive. I would never choose it over the Blu-rays. Yeah. <laughs> it's like something you watch as a special yeah. day. Yeah. It's, it's it goes not something back to I... my point about like, loving a dish and wanting it different ways. Like, that's that guy's yeah. version of shrimp and grits. But, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I like the that's idea not that a thing, is it? Shrimp and grits? Are you joking? <laughs> We're not from the South. I'm... Do you guys... <laughs> 
Dude, I had the best shrimp and grits here in Utah yesterday at a bourbon house. Do you guys know what shrimp and grits are? Okay. You guys are gross. But, yeah. Like, yeah. No, it's delicious. They're cheesy grits and they're super creamy usually and some people like to spice them. It's awesome. <laughs> Oh, Everybody try so shrimp and grits for me, and now we'll move on to start. All right, next, next question. Next question. <laughs> I'll stick with my pet block. All right, so, so I've had a canonical question about one character for pretty much this entire year. Last Christmas, I got the James Lucino novel Darth Plagueis, which was printed before the uh, reboot, so to speak. And I understand that in that same author's novel, Tarkin, he refers to some stuff from the Darth Plagueis novel. So I guess what I'm asking is, a character as mysterious yet pivotal as Darth Plagueis, what is official about him, and can we expect any more of him in the future? The only things that are official are the things that have been in things printed since April 2014. So... Plagueis, the novel as a whole, is no longer official, although the Easter eggs within Tarkin are. But just because things are referenced in Tarkin doesn't make all of the Plagueis novel um, official. Um, So there's not a lot about him now, and I may or may not, we may explore him in the future, we may not. Like, there's so many good things to explore in Star Wars, and we have a really long time to go with it, because Disney paid a lot of money for it, so um, we're we're never going to, like shy away from an idea, but, you know, there's a lot of other things that we already have, like the Han Solo movie that we're working on. I was going to give you a really straight face and tell you that Plagueis was Snoke, but then I didn't want to <laughs> mess everybody up. I, I, I know that was dashed. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really love how they've been smuggling in little bits of, of things like that. Like, uh, one of my favorites was in the Kanan comic, how they, they were referring to the events of Shatterpoint, yeah. which I think is one of the best Star Wars novels. Like, they Dude. did Apocalypse Now and the Clone Wars with Mace Windu, it was so good. Matt Stover, man. Yeah. That no, dude. that guy's good. Um, but I, I actually brought this up in the previous panel, too. Nothing out there right now conflicts with Plagueis. Right. So there's no reason that you can't consider it canon to yourself. Canon is, is not something that fans really need to worry about. Yeah. It's uh, like something as creators we need to deal with because we want to make sure that things don't like, overlap each other. But if it's a story that you love, you should love it. Yeah, if it, if it means something to you, that's, that's your canon. Thank you. There's a, a lovely phrase out there I, I've heard, head canon. Mm-hmm. And I love that because you can choose what resonates with you. Those of us who are on the professional side of it have, have things that we need to take care of to make sure all our ducks in a row. But if it makes you happy to rewrite something in your head, do it. Your head canon is your space and your imagination. Totally. My head cannon's crazy. There's all kinds of dumb ideas that I could never say publicly. I am shipping all sorts of folks in my head cannon. Yep. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons. Um, on One of my columns on StarWars.com that comes out every couple of weeks is called The Playlist. And what I do is kind of take a, a topic and give you all of the canon sort of places where that appears. But I'll give bonus sort of like, here's the, here's the list of all the stuff that's official, like one through nine, but here's a bonus. Like if you really liked Obi-Wan Kenobi, Obi-Wan Kenobi's one I've, I've written, and I don't know, who knows it'll, when it'll be out, because I'm like four months ahead on articles. Um, but it goes through 
Kenobi's timeline through the movies, through the Clone Wars, through some of the comics that are all canon. But as a bonus, I was like, you should really check out the Kenobi book. Yes, we know it's not canon, but it's so good. Um, and so, like, passing that on and pr- pretending it doesn't exist, I don't think does anybody any good. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Especially since some of those books are so good. Canon Schmanon. <laughs> so when I thought the EU was just gone, it like shattered me like nothing else could. And I just want to say thank you because it was you guys that all helped me work through that. <laughs> and so I'm not raging on the internet and stuff. So I just wanted to thank all the amazing Star Wars panelists. I don't have a question. Thank oh. you. Thank you. Thank you. We're, gl- we're glad we have another acceptor. <laughs> And don't, don't dislike the EU. You can still like that, too. Yeah. Great. And I like that you weren't raging on the Internet, because there has to be a lot less of that. Yeah. <laughs> so for the Phantom Menace, they build up you know, Darth Maul's character to be such an awesome villain, and then to have him kill off and bring him back to uh, Rebels and uh, Clone Wars. What do you guys think about that? Okay, so... (laughs) (laughs) All right, so, yes. That was my number one biggest problem of the prequels, hands down. Like, the Jar Jar, my big thing was, when I saw episode two and I saw the kids reacting, I got it, and I let that go. But Darth Maul... You have this lion, this angry, awesome villain, and the best thing to happen to Star Wars since Darth Vader, and I was all in, and in seconds he's gone. And I was just heartbroken about it. And then I wasn't watching Clone Wars, and my daughter brought me into Clone Wars right when they brought Darth, Darth Maul back, and it was brilliant. And you see all the, uh, the Maul arcs, and I'm, I'm excited, sorry. And, and now we see him... In Rebels, and where is this going to go? I, I am completely on board with what Dave and crew are doing with, with Maul, and I think that this is some of the best Rebels right now, some of the best Star Wars storytelling going on right now, and Darth Maul has a lot to do with that. So it's fantastic. Anybody else? Here, here. It, it gives yeah. me hope that one day Greedo could come back. <laughs> <laughs> he did, though. Holly, he did. He got an episode of The Clone Wars that was really good where he kidnapped yes, George yes. Lucas's Which I kids. love, but I need more than that. I Thank want, you for your question. I'll take Greedo with mechanized legs. That is not a problem. <laughs> well, speaking of that, I want to ask the panel really quickly, what character from that Legends canon would you like to see come in? We've already got Thrawn. Oh. Um, and, and Christy, you've gotten to play with some of these, these characters a little bit, too. Um, you know, who would you like to see brought in? I'm going to be horribly selfish because this is this is a wish list. But I got very very fond of Vestarakai. I got to create her. I got to write most of her. I got to introduce her in Omen, and I really really like that character. And we had um, we had some fun plans for her, and I think that that character could be adjusted. And have the character without necessarily all of the history, as we're seeing things do, and bring her back because I think she would be a lot of fun. So that's my selfish, egotistical hope. Holly? I don't have a hope. I'm sated with Thrawn. I'm like, all right, checklist. <laughs> well, all right, we got then. all the chiss action. We're good. So I'm going to say um, I am partial to, I love the Princess Leia comic book, and I want Yvonne. I love that relationship. Um, I want them to have their own movie. I want them to go out and kick some ass, and I want to watch it happen. 
because it's happening in my head. In my head canon, it's all happening. But I want her in the movies. No, I loved Yvonne Ver- Verlaine. Aww. She's so cool. If you guys haven't read the Princess Leia comic, it is so part of the canon, actually. So she's like, she's in there. Yeah. But, she really happened. Yeah. She's legit. She's real Star Wars. <laughs> Factual history. Matt? I'm actually, I think I'm going to abstain because I don't okay. want anybody to read into my answer, but I totally have some. <laughs> Mike? You can whisper it. Darth Maul's flying away in Darth Vader's TIE Fighter. That's all I can think about right now. <laughs> You're still on the Darth Maul thing? Yeah. Wait, say that again? Darth Maul flying away in Darth Vader's TIE Fighter. Okay. <laughs> um, I would think I really want to see Corrin uh, Horn. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think a lot of people do. Like, I think Corrin is such a cool, interesting character. I want way more, like, X-Wing espionage stuff, like, like built on the stuff that, that Mike Stackpole and Aaron Alston were doing. Just all of that. Yeah, all the, the Rogue Squadron and Wraith Squadron stuff was awesome. I would kill for them to bring Mike back to tell a story in book form about the taking of Coruscant in the new canon. Yeah. Live action piggy. That's all I want. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, uh, first and foremost, you guys are all great. Thank you for hosting it and let us all live this fantasy we've all lived. Um, so I've seen every version of this movie. I owe my existence to Star Wars, literally. Um... With the new J.J. Abrams direction and the return to practical and special effects, what do you think the advantage of, of continuing this, and what do you guys hope for in Rogue One with the regards of practical versus can, special? Can I, can I make a really interesting statement here? There are more physical effects in Phantom Menace than the entire original trilogy combined, and there are more digital effects in The Force Awakens than the entire uh, prequel trilogy. Fact. Wow. <laughs> so I'm well, sorry we just kind of exploded your worldview. Well, you exploded my worldview, but compared to other movies that they're making currently, everything is, oh, we're just going to make everything CGI because no one is an artist and can do stuff with their hands anymore. Everything's computer and technology. I Personally, I don't really care. Like, kind of whatever gets the best result. Like, Captain America's Civil War is all digital effects and it looks incredible yeah so it's really to me at least whatever the filmmaker wants to use and jj's approach was cool it turned out great it looks awesome uh what gareth has done for rogue looks awesome so far and there's there's plenty of practical effects but you know there's going to be plenty of digital stuff too so i really think you know it's it's like an artist should use all of the tools that it can to make the best art and i think that's really what we need to remember rather than trying to lean back so much on nostalgia and like, that's not how movies are supposed to be made. I admire and envy people who can tell the difference. Because I'm, like I said, I'm a civilian. I watch them and I'm like, wow, that was neat. Was that a puppet or was that CGI? How did they do that? Yeah, try watching Force Awakens and trying to figure out when BB-8 is real, when he's a a puppet and when he's uh, uh, CG. No, it, it blew my mind. The uh, I wrote, I had to write that that article for Star Wars Insider about like a hundred things you didn't know, and I found out that that first shot of BB-8 rolling up, his introduction is all CG. Yep, he's always real in my heart. Um, yeah. And Christy, for you, like, which do you prefer in your novels, CG or live action? <laughs> well, you know that depends on the point of view that I'm working with. Next question. Yeah, I, if I could just say real quick, I you know I'm like you, I don't. I do a podcast on Star Wars. I'm not. A, I don't write. I don't direct. I don't do any of that stuff. And I, I can tell the difference if it's a gigantic 
robot running across the screen that's you know 30 stories tall. I know that that's computer generated. So, I, but I agree with Matt too that if it's nobody's going to paint with you know blood if they have like great oil paints. Like whatever tools you have, if you can make the best movie possible, do that. Sorry, I didn't mean to stop you there. No problem. I like the idea that this art form, which has been neglected, is coming back, and that creative artisans are now having a presence again in the film. I really do like totally. that aspect of it. So they've gone through and remastered all of the soundtracks, and they released the was it the ultimate edition? Is that what they called it? I think that was it. Yeah. So the vinyl and the digital versions contain the same track listing, but the CD version is a re-release of the previous, it, it contains a different track listing. Notably, no, notably it's missing Lapty Neck, but, um, and, and the original Ewok song. Um, well, that's understandable. Dude, but, don't, uh, don't say anything negative about Lapty Neck. No, I love, but I, I love Lapty Neck. I'm just wondering if, there, if you know why they decided to just re-release an existing digital version for CD labeled as the ultimate collection. Like, if you go on Amazon, they're all listed there together as three different versions of the same thing. And if you go and you read actually all of the little details, you can see that the the track lists are different. But I I was just a little disappointed when I bought the CD version expecting the ultimate edition, but it's not what's in the digital edition or the vinyl edition. You should always buy vinyl. That's honestly my preferred. I bought that Ultimate Vinyl Collection with all six soundtracks and then the Force Awakens one that came out and then the Clone Wars one that came out. Um, and they need a Rebels vinyl yeah. soon. But Kevin kiner has been doing some no, of his best back work. To your question, but, no, but, that is but they have the they digital files. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you go on iTunes, you download the Ultimate Edition, it's the same track listing as yeah. the vinyl edition. It's not like they, they I, didn't it have It is actually digitized. different. I used to work in the music industry and you do have to master things differently for a CD versus digital versus vinyl. So, not saying Disney couldn't afford to remaster it for CD, but that could be part of the reason. Like, it's not as easy as just porting those files over. Hmm. Okay. Cool. So, we've got just five minutes left, so we're going to, we've got, let's try to zip through these questions. Yeah. Is there anything from the old Marvel or Dark Horse comics you would like to see come up? Who did? Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, The Wheel... Um, the wheel from those epi- uh, issues of the Marvel comics is actually on the Freemaker Adventures. Mm-hmm. Um, and also Jackson. Jackson be sweet. Jackson's kind of, sort of, in Clone Wars, kind of. He is, he is, but I need, more. I need an alive Jackson. <laughs> well, you know. Picky. You take what you get. <laughs> so a uh, real quick question for Christy. So I read Dark Disciple, loved the book. Thank you. But I do have to ask, was the decision to kill Ventress yours, or was that something that Star Wars group decided for? Dude, massive spoiler. They've, <laughs> They've had a year. Those of you who heard that, you remember nothing. Nobody um, dies in that book. Actually, we, we had a lot of conversations around that. And um, the decision in the end was that it really wasn't, oh, look, the girl is sacrificing herself for her man. The girl was sacrificing herself for all that she had worked to make herself, the, for, the, for the effort she had put into changing and becoming a better person. And so it was as much an empowering thing for, I know that, that word's tossed around, but it is. But it's, it, she was strong in that decision. She wasn't weak. She wasn't losing anything. And she knew there's a, and that was why it, it was my choice at that scene uh, to kind of have her get those glimpses from all of the myriad possibilities. 
and know that she was doing the right thing. So, Thank you. It was not made lightly. Um, my question might not be about canons nor legends, but it is about Star Wars. Now, before my question, I was wondering if any of you can talk about the worlds and planets that was conceived by George Lucas for all six Star Wars movies, but not put in the movies. Now, here's the question. In the making of The Return of the Jedi, Jabba's castle was going to be on a grassland planet with stone mountain shit that looked like beehives. And I don't know how the name of that planet is pronounced, but I do know how it's spelled. It's spelled S-I-C-E-M-O-N. Do you know how it's pronounced? I think it's Simeon. Does that sound right? It's spelled S-I-C-E-M-O-N. I think it's Simeon. But I've, I've actually only read it, too, so I, I don't know how it's pronounced. You would have to ask George. Or Pablo, I bet. I don't even <laughs> know if Pablo would know. Really? Yeah. Shoot him a text. I mean, we know how we pronounce it. That's what, that, like In the office, because we've talked about that, because that planet was one of the inspirations for what became Lothal in, in Rebels. So like, there's been discussions about that planet, but... Um, yeah, I don't think there is an official name because it's not an official thing. What can you say about the alien worlds that were conceived by George Lucas for the six Star Wars movies but were not put in the films? Such as? Like, um... Like Had Abaddon? Well, I guess that turned into Coruscant. Well, yeah, like exactly. maybe um, the planet Dak, the homeworld of the Calamaris, like Admiral Akbar? Um, Dak... I guess kind of got explored in the Clone Wars because George did work on the Clone Wars very uh, intensely and Mon Cala is what became of Dak. Uh, yeah. So how come in the original version of Episode Four in the 70s the surface of the planet Alderaan wasn't explored like on Yavin and Tatooine? Because that would cost money. <laughs> That's what and, I was going to say. Yeah. And how come there couldn't okay, be... Okay, we have two more questions. we, we got to wrap yeah, up. Okay, well, we're done no, you've got three questions. You've, you've I'm sorry. Questions. Thank you. Last Starfighter, understand your pain. Got the same kind of kids. <laughs> Still so good, but the kids have to I go. I heard they're making a remake. <laughs> going to flip it on. My grandfather is from the old country, and I'm trying to explain to him why the dark Sith... Um, he understands Sith mean peace because to him that's what Sith is it's a Gaelic for peace how do I explain that to somebody that's more stubborn than I am it's a different language (laughs) there you go (laughs) okay last question duct tape ray we love it I love it um Who do you think his parents and or grandparents are? Oh, my God. Yeah, I'm not touching that. (laughs) You should, yeah, probably just leave. I think... I think there's a movie that comes out next December that might might hopefully (laughs) shed some light on that. I know, but are you... Tell me you're not sitting at home, like... I think she's a Kenobi. Do you have a theory? Do you have a theory? Yeah. Look at her, she is so And thank you, dude. <laughs> yeah, I think she's a Kenobi, too. Well, there you go. I'm with you, and my daughter, is, who's obsessed with Ray, is, she's all about it. Like, I think she might riot 
if it turns out she's not a Kenobi. Have no reaction so, to that statement. So, no reaction. So it's the number one question that I get asked every time somebody sees a Star Wars shirt or knows that I do a show or <laughs> I mention Star Wars. That's the number one question since the Force Awakens comes out. And hopefully next year we'll get some light shed on that. But so, you have a very good theory. And do you really so, want to find out in a panel from us jerks? No. no. Like, wait to the movie. It's going to be a yeah. much better reveal. Yeah. Were you yeah. at the Mark Hamill panel? No, but my dad was. Oh my gosh, where is your dad? <laughs> so in, we're good parenting. He did we're, say, like, don't you want to have that experience in the theater and not on a panel? So we can share thoughts. We but. are out of time. Thank you. So thank you so much for your question. Yes. Thank you for being here. So again, I, I thought that we wrapped that one up with some great questions. And um, how did you feel overall about it, Brian? I felt great about it. I don't know. I really like talking about Star Wars. Yeah, me too. And, and uh, this was, I love, I love kind of taking interesting different approaches for it and talking about sort of openly, uh, especially with a representative of Lucasfilm, like about the differences and the changes and how things work and what we have now and what we have, uh, what we had before and, and how all that works. It, it's always, it's endlessly fascinating to me. Yeah. So let's ramp up this episode, but before we go, we I know we have a bunch of specials that we're going to be releasing this week, and uh, what are we uh, still putting out this week? What what haven't we covered yet? So we've got, uh, and I think we've saved some of the best for last, actually. So we have coming up next, uh, How Clone Wars Changed Star Wars. That's another good panel. Um, we've got The Life and Times of Han Solo. We have a panel that I have never had more people come up to me afterwards and say that, that it was a great panel than... Uh, the Balance of the Force, which Ooh. was Matt Martin, James uh, Jawa James, and Don Pink and I just talking about what the Balance of the Force means, and we had audience questions, and it was just it got deep. So I'm excited for that. And then we have that bullying and gatekeeping panel, which I think is super important, and I think it kind of it lends a different uh, take on things because it's a little bit more generalized. Although we do talk about Star Wars a lot, it's like bullying and gatekeeping in comics and comic book stores and things like that. All right. Well, I look forward to them all. So um, if people want to find you, Brian, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Swankmotron. Uh, you can find me on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Swankmotron. You can find me on Instagram at Swankmotron. Um, basically, if you look up Swankmotron, you're going to find me. Uh, or you can find my books at brianyoungfiction.com. Or you can just type my name into Amazon and buy my books there. Uh, and you can also find my columns every Monday on StarWars.com and occasionally in Star Wars Insider. Yeah, you can find Amy the same way. Look up Amy Ratcliffe. You can go to Geek with Curves. You can find her on Star Wars Insider. You can find her on StarWars.com for where she writes. And uh, if you want to leave a voicemail for the show, you can use the SpeakPipe app on the website, which is fullofsith.com. There you can find our Twitter addresses at fullofsith, at the mic, at swankmotron, at amy underscore geek. You can go to facebook.com slash full of Sith and check out all the stuff we post there, like show notes and the show art and all kinds of different conversations that are going on. And there's been some great emails uh, in the last week and a half, Brian. I got to forward those to you and Amy. When we come back, uh, we'll get to some of those emails as well. They're really, really good. Holocron at full of Sith.com and then iTunes, Stitcher, the uh, Google Play Store. If you haven't left a review for us yet, please do so. And if you're looking for me, themike.com. You can find my stuffs there. But for this episode 183 of Full of Sith and my co-host Brian Young, I am the Mike Pilot. May the Force be with you, always.
Sir, if you'll not be needing me, I'll close down for a while. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.